I was told once that if we're not careful, 2% of the passionate will control 98% of the indifferent 100% of the time. The more I thought about this phrase, the more I believe it. There is now a small group of passionate people working hard to destroy our American way of life. Treason and treachery are rampant, and our rule of law and those law enforcement professionals who uphold our laws are under the gun more than at any time in our nation's history. These passionate 2% appear to be winning, despite there being countless good people trying to come to grips with everything else on their plates. Our silent majority, the indifferent, can no longer be silent. If the United States wants to survive the onslaught of socialism, if we are to continue to enjoy self-government and the liberty of our hard-fought freedoms, we have to understand there are two opposing forces. One is the children of light, the other is the children of darkness. The art and exercise of self-governance require active participation by every American. And voting is only part of that active participation. Time and time again, the silent majority have been overwhelmed by the audacity and resolve of small, well-organized, passionate groups. It's now time for us, the silent majority, the indifferent, to demonstrate both. The trials of our current times, like warfare, are immense and consequences severe. And these seem inconquerable. As a policewoman from Virginia once told me, people don't feel safe in their homes and our police force is so demoralized, we cannot function as we should. In my 23 years with my department, I've never seen morale so low. Another woman from Mississippi told me that we need our leaders to drop a forceful hammer. People are losing patience. It simply must be stopped. Laws must be enforced. No one is above the law. Don't fret. Those smart, positive actions of resolute citizen patriots, we can prevail. Always keep in mind that our enemy, these dark forces, invariably have difficulties of which we are ignorant. For most Americans, these forces appear to be strong. I sense that they're desperate. I also sense that only a slight push on our part is all that is required to defeat these forces. How should that push come? Prayers help. Prayers matter. But actions also are a remedy. Our law enforcement professionals, from the dispatcher to the detective, from the cop to the commissioner, are a line of defense against the corrupt and, and the criminal. It is how we remain, for now, in a state of relatively peaceful existence. We must support them with all of our being. They are not the enemy. They bring light to the darkness of night through their bravery and determination to do their jobs without fanfare and with tremendous sacrifice. The silent majority, the indifferent, tend to go the way of those leading them. We are not map or mind readers. We are humans fraught with all hopes and fears that flesh is to air. We must not become lost in this battle. We must resoundly follow our God-given common sense. Seek the truth. Fight for it in everything that is displayed before you. Don't trust the fake news or the false prophets. Trust your instincts and your common sense. Those with a conscience know the difference between right and wrong, and those with a courage will always choose the harder right over the easier wrong. I believe the attacks being presented to us today are part of a well-orchestrated and well-funded effort that uses racism as, as its sword to aggravate our, battlesh our battlefield dispositions. This weapon is used to leverage and to legitimize violence and crime, not to seek or serve the truth. The dark forces 
weapons formed against us serve one purpose to promote the radical social change through power and control. Socialism and the creation of a socialist society are their ultimate goals. They are also intent on driving God out of families, our schools, and our courts. They even seek the very removal of God from our churches, essentially hoping to remove God from everyday lives. Remember, we will only remain united as one nation under God. And yes, there is a resistance movement by the forces of darkness. However, we must also resist these onslaughts and instead take an optimistic view of our situation. Like war, optimism can be pervasive and help to subdue any rising sense of fear. We must, however, be deliberate about our optimism. Otherwise, we may get lost in discouragement and despair of any failings we encounter. We must be tenacious in the ultimate end we wish to gain. That end is to remain an unwavering constitutional republic based on a set of Judeo-Christian values and principles. We must not fear these and instead embrace each. Our path requires course corrections. To move our experiment in democracy forward, we should fight and reject the tired and failed political paths and instead pursue a more correct path that shines a bright light on liberty, a path with greater and greater control of our livelihoods instead of being controlled by fewer and fewer of the too long in power politicians. They have discarded us like old trash. Our will, our individual liberties and freedoms remain powerful forces and must be understood and applied smartly. We must not be overly stubborn, following the Constitution as our guide and adapting to change as we have throughout history. We learn more about what freedoms humans desire. At times, however, we have to fall back on what got us here. We cannot afford to lose our God-given human rights and the stronger inner desire for freedom to choose and the breath, the fresh air of liberty. We must stand up and speak out to challenge our so-called leaders of government. We put them in charge. We can remove them as well. It is though our rights and privileges as American citizens that we challenge the political class and, and leverage our election process so we the people can decide who will govern. It's through our rights and privileges that we can accomplish this. We must not allow a small percentage of the powerful to overtake our position on America's battlefield. We, as free-thinking and acting individuals, must control how we live and not allow a few passionate people to change our way of life. To the silent and currently indifferent majority, wake up. America is at risk of being lost in the dustbin of history to socialism and the very heart and soul of America is at stake. In war, as in life, most failures come from inaction. We face pivotal moments that can change the course of history of our nation. We, the people, must challenge every politician at every level. We also must stand and support our law enforcement professionals. They are the pointy end of the spear defending us against anarchy. Now is the time to act. That's from General Mike Flynn. I'm Adrian Slade. It's the Adrian Slade Show. The presidential motorcade was just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. Yeah, General Mike Flynn makes some really good points. And he really is also pointing out some things that we need to be aware of. We need to recognize. You know, we need to fight for our individual liberties. We have to realize this movement of Black Lives Matter, Antifa. It's all Marxist. They're all interwoven together. Have you noticed how many uh, 
I guess, gender-confused individuals are littered throughout Antifa. Have you noticed how many platforms that Black Lives Matter take that have nothing to do with black people getting justice for cop killing? They're promoting anti-queer, or they're promoting uh, queer-positive platforms. What does that have to do with black lives? What does Antifa littered with these individuals that should say something. It's like the crowd outside of Lot's house. They despise Christianity. They despise anything with morality. Their morality is cancel culture. Their morality is going back through your history, finding whatever infraction they can find, and then waging war against you with it. Canceling you from society, sending you out to the point where you have no, no future. You've been shunned from society. That is what their goal is. And it's starting to hit close to home. Check this out. This is from my own backyard. Virginia Beach first responders pushed and kicked while responding to a deadly motorcycle crash. Virginia Beach firefighters were pushed and kicked while trying to save the life of a motorist. When firefighters arrived at uh, Atlantis Drive, an unruly crowd gathered and rapidly grew in size and out of control surrounding the scene according to the fire department. As firefighters tried to treat the man involved in the crash, several were pushed and kicked, the briefing said. The victim identified on Thursday ultimately died from his injuries on the way to the hospital. However, the report goes on to say that some from the crash scene followed the ambulance to the hospital and began to jump on and kick multiple EMS vehicles causing damage. The emergency room was placed on a temporary lockdown as a proactive measure to ensure everyone's safety. The lockdown ended without incident, but it's pretty amazing. These people chased the ambulance back to the hospital. Now, these were police officers. We're not defunding the EMTs, are we? But that's how close to home it's gotten. Now, my friend, I'm not going to say her name, she lives out in L.A., and she posted this incident where she was driving through And suddenly all these protesters come up on her. She said, they spit on my car. They stuck their faces on my window. All because I just needed to turn left. They called me awful words. Sorry if this offends you. They said, you white biatch. (laughs) Now do you see how it feels? That's what they were screaming. They finally let me go after they took my photo in what seemed like 15 minutes. I'm so freaked out right now. Is this happening to anyone else elsewhere? I can't do this again. And what did I do? I don't understand because I love her to death, but she's on the uh, liberal side. She's run into Antifa and Black Lives Matter and they're eating their own. And this is how absurd the people on the left responded to my friend. One of them said, drive around, not through. Honk in support with thumbs up. It's supposed to be an inconvenience. Show them a fist in solidarity. That is the most naive crap I've ever heard. Do you remember the two guys, the two uh, bros up there in their apartment playing beer pong with some other friends, and they're watching The Matrix in the background? A Black Lives Matter protest starts marching down, and they're, you know, taking selfies and putting their thumbs up at the window. And what happens? Two bricks get lobbed through their windows, and they're like, dude, we're on your side. We're on your... They don't care about you. So... One individual said, so what would have happened if she didn't give a thumbs up or showed a fist? 
And the individual who said, you know, to drive around and show solidarity said, she would just wait. I know my home girl. She can be pushy and gets tough quick. I'm sure she would have pushed through them. Big deal if people yell, is yelling scary now? Um, it is when they start shooting in your car. They shot an individual in a car going through an intersection in Provo, Utah. I mean, they shot another individual um, who ended up having their eight-year-old die of gunshot injuries as they drove through a barricaded section in Atlanta and turned around and tried to drive out. And the same can be said on the other side. Marchers are all over the place in the streets. One guy, a black guy driving a luxury car. That's how they described it. A luxury car plowed through some protesters, killing one, seriously injuring the other. Yeah, the luxury car wasn't who did it. Doesn't matter if the car was a luxury car. What are you trying to say? We got to eat the rich like they've been screaming. So, yeah, just the naivety and the stupidity of the left to justify the unruliness of, of violent rioters and insurrection that's happening, because that's the problem. People think it's some justified protest and they're at their wits end. They've had enough and some violence may break out because they've just had enough. No, they are actively attacking things such as abolitionist statues, pulling down statues of Christopher Columbus, because that has something to do with Confederacy, I guess, all because they've been given a subpar teaching of history. They've read dumb books like the, the People's History of His Story by Howard Zinn, who talks about Christopher Columbus came upon the Indians, these buff Native Americans with their glistening bodies and all this crap. I mean, if you've ever read it, it's, it's like the most narrative-formed garbage. There's absolutely no history to it, and that's what they fall for. I see people online talking about, oh, you should read Howard Zinn's People's History. You should read White Fragility. Um, sorry, I'm going to have to give you a box of maxi pads because I'm not watching, I'm not reading White Fragility. Sorry. In fact, I went back and read The Road to Serfdom from Frederick Hayek because back in 1944, he's telling you everything that they're doing right now. It's all about socialism. Every bit of this is about instituting a socialist society that gives them a place at the top. The problem is in the past, it was always just po uh, politicians and some wacko uh, elements of the left. Now, they've infected themselves not only in Hollywood, but they've also infected themselves into corporate America. And I saw this coming back when I was going through uh, my career change and I uh, was taking quite a few courses in international business. A couple of things I noticed. One was there was two things they were asking for that were a part of every international business uh, course that I took. And it was really disturbing to me. First was population control. Can we say Planned Parenthood? Also, the free flow of immigration. Can we say open borders? All of these things are taught in international business, but they're not taught in just regular American business. Why is that? Could it be that the UN and the international corporations are together in on this? It's amazing. And what we're dealing with right now is the rise of this through corporate America. It's why, you know, I've been screaming since day one that the pandemic, our reaction to the pandemic 
was a political reaction. We did not take it based on the numbers. The numbers did not warrant shutting down the entire nation. Of course, Trump and a lot of them played along because they didn't, there's, you know, there's a PR side of it. And then there's a safety concern. And at the time, the data was shoddy all over the place. But what we can base off the numbers initially and off the fact that typically when you have organizations that believe in climate change that push out crappy models that were all over the place, at that point, I'm going, I've got to throw my hands up and call BS on this. But those who are making public policy wanted to err on the side of safety. So they played the game for a little bit. But the game fell apart when rioters were going around finding magical pallets of bricks placed without the city and started rioting, and suddenly social distancing was gone. That was a thing of the past. And then, all of a sudden, we're starting to reinstitute the lockdowns, but we're only doing it in Texas and Florida and California because California's just lost. I mean, completely gone. But we come to find out, in Florida, Rick DeSantis just decided to push back on it again. And in Texas, the numbers were going up, most likely because of border crossings and people being brought across the border who are being treated. So now Trump has finally decided to put his foot down and go, look, you guys better open up your schools in these states or no federal funding from us. Justin Amash went out there and said, well, you know, the federal government should not be making policy for the, uh, the you know, local and state schools, which I agree with to a point. But two things can be simultaneously true at the same time. First off, we can all agree Abolish the Department of Education. I'm fully on board with that. But the other part that can also be true is the fact that the states are going to stay in a medically induced, seceded coma. They're going to medically secede from the union, from the union's economy, and they're going to lock themselves down until the federal government steps in and goes, uh, stop this right now. There's no need for this. You're only doing this for political reasons, and we're just not going to provide you any funds and watch the schools just magically open up. You know, Harvard was one of the ones that kicked off the whole lockdown because it was South by Southwest and Coachella, and then the NBA canceled their season, which NBA is very uh, emboldened to China. But when Harvard sent all its kids home, that resonated to the point where even Arizona's governor was talking about how that was something integral in the decision-making that he made. Well, Harvard turned around at the same time that Trump is talking about reopening schools and said, yeah, we're just going to be closed for the entire year. You can just do your stuff online. Oh, by the way, you're still going to pay us a crap ton of money for tuition because they have the financial capital to play this game. And states don't. States are going to lose tax revenue if their economies do not start getting back open. So we're going to see how long this game of, uh, you know, this game of... uh, This head-to-head game, we're going to see how far this goes. So corporate America jumped in on all this. Remember the pandemic was happening. Suddenly it was, stay home, stay safe. We're all in this together. All these damn commercials showing up magically out of the blue. And then as soon as Black Lives Matter pops up, George Floyd, which no one's talking about anymore, he... um. He magically goes away, but this, the companies are all Black Lives Matter. We sort, you know, we support in solidarity, you know. Um, while we're playing this game of chicken with the states, uh, they're allowing protests to go on. And then there's stories saying, well, you know, protests didn't cause COVID-19 to spike. It was other things. And then they're saying, well, some protests will cause coronavirus to spread and some won't. It's all BS. 
All BS. Because it's all political. And listen to this. This is from Quartz. Nearly 200 CEOs just agreed on an updated definition of the purpose of a corporation. So when I was going back through international business, the other thing that I meant to mention after the free flow of immigration and the population control side, the second point was corporate philanthropy. You had to find some sort of cause that you would champion as a business because that's your morality. That's not the morality of, you know, uh, of Christians. We believe in just doing good because that's what Christ demands of us. You know, love thy neighbor as thyself, love thy God above no other. And there you go. But for the atheist and the secular uh, leftists that want socialism, you got to do good works, but it has to be in the, in the kind of charitable organization or charitable philanthropy that is noble in your virtue signaling to everybody. Look at me. I'm doing good stuff. I'm down here. Like, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, the actor from, uh, I can't remember. Sean Penn. He's out there. He's knee deep in water down there helping the Haitians. Good for him. He's a good guy. He's on TV showing it all. That's how they do it. And if you don't abide by their set of commandments, you are canceled and they will run you out of society. So corporate, corporate philanthropy has now been taken to a whole nother level and leftists have become CEOs and they're now playing this game, partly because I think they're trying to jump on board on the new global movement to where they're at, they're insulated. They don't have to worry about profit and loss. You know, if they go into the red, government bails them out. How could you not like that? That is the Chinese model. Basically, it looks like capitalism on the outside, but it's all propped up by government. So government picks up the difference. What's, what's the difference between that and the bailouts? What's the difference between that and, you know, uh, what China does? So here we are from courts. This is just a little bit of an insight into the new corporate mind frame. Since 1997, the Business Roundtable, America's most influential group of corporate leaders, has agreed on one principle. The paramount duty of management and of boards and directors is to the corporate stockholders. That's what its mission statement declared. The interest of other stakeholders, like employees, were only relevant as a derivative of the duty to stockholders. Now, look, this is a symbiotic relationship. I'm tired of it being looked at as the corporate overlords. They've enslaved their employees. No, the employees were hired. The employees were hired on their own accord. These people went to them and said, hey, I can provide you with the labor that you desire. And they said, you know what? I need productivity. Let's go ahead and make a deal. And we will put you on our payroll to get the job done. This isn't some slave owners, uh, uh, authoritarian relationship. But anyways, back to the article. Now, however, the group has released a statement on the purpose of a corporation that is radically different. It essentially rejects the theory of late economist Milton Friedman, who said seeking profits for shareholders would alone allow a company to prosper, keep people employed, and fuel the economy. Instead, the business roundtable is pulling from the idea of conscious capitalism, which proposes that a company has a broader responsibility to society, which it can better serve if it considers all stakeholders and its business decisions. It's a concept that an increasing number of CEOs have been preaching, 
though arguably not living in the last 10 years. The, right, that's how it works. They preach it, but they never live it because they're flawed individuals. That's why you don't give them that level of power. It's that way in government. Anyways, back to the article. Jamie Dimon, the CEO and chairman of J.P. Morgan Chase and chairman of the Business Roundtable, commented on the powerful lobbying group's new definition as it made its debut today. He suggested the Business Roundtable is essentially just catching up with the way many leaders are already running their businesses. Quote, the American dream is alive, but fraying, he said in a press release. Major employers are investing in their workers and communities because they know it is the only way to be successful over the long term. These modernized principles reflect the business community's unwavering commitment to continue to push for an economy that serves all Americans. For critics of big business, this new statement, which was signed by 181 CEOs, will be welcomed, but with skepticism. That said, it should also spark optimism that the recent talk from corporate leaders about a special purpose, protecting the environment, and thinking beyond the next quarter results is more than empty rhetoric. The statement on the purpose of a corporation. Americans deserve an economy that allows each person to succeed through hard work and creativity and to lead a life of meaning and dignity. We believe the free market system is the best means of generating good jobs, a strong, sustainable economy, innovation, and a healthy environment and economic opportunity for all. Businesses play a vital role in the economy being created by jobs, fostering innovation, and providing essential goods and services. Businesses make and sell customer, uh, consumer products, manufacture equipment and vehicles, support the uh, national defense, grow and produce food, provide health care, and generate and deliver energy. And they offer financial communications and other services that underpin economic growth. While each of our individual companies serves its own corporate purpose. We share fundamental commitments to all of our stakeholders. We commit to delivering value to our customers. We will further the tradition of American companies leading the way in meeting or exceeding customer expectations, investing in our companies and our employees. This starts with compensating them fairly and providing them with important benefits. It also includes supporting them through training and education that helps develop new skills for rapidly uh, rapidly changing world. Of course, you want to invest in your people. This isn't some philanthropy. That's what you do. You build your your you build your staff. You train them. You foster them. That's how you grow as a company. I don't know why this is some new thing. But the fact that they have gone beyond the simple fact of looking at profit and loss because that's that's what competition is what makes you grow that's where you go okay we have a product that's where amazon let's let's take amazon let's take um let's take the fact let's take netflix too amazon was like a online bookstore netflix was sending dvds in the mail what are they doing now they innovated they moved within the market they found ways to grow they found ways Amazon starts shipping everything under the sun. Amazon starts their own streaming network. Netflix decides to start its own streaming network and decides it's going to make its own content. So does Amazon. That's what you do. That's why you now have a Disney Plus. And you train your employees to make this possible. The fact that people look at companies as though 
They just hire these people and they just work them to the bone and they don't do anything with them. Now, there are companies that do that. I'm not going to say that that doesn't happen. The problem is those companies don't last. Or if they do last, they've spent so much money on on training and developing new employees because the other employees left. And the cost of training is a giant impact on a business. But this this new view of how a business operates, where it's not just about making money and innovating, it's about finding a way to be compassionate to the public. That's nice and all. But if you have CEOs like the CEO from Chick-fil-A, which I've been critical of because he's kind of jumped in on the Black Lives Matter thing. But overall, if you are operating from a level that is Christian-based and you are wanting to do what God wants you to do, you're not going to follow um, the path that makes you eat up employees and throw them out and pay them a crappy wage. You're, gonna, you're going to look at developing and mentoring people. You're going to innovate in that fashion. You're not going to have to go find some philanthropic thing to attach yourself to because most of them are attaching themselves to climate change. Most of them are attaching themselves to some sort of socialist uh, mantra. And this is why you have these companies supporting Black Lives Matter, supporting Antifa, and then they're up there gaslighting us with this coronavirus pandemic. So just keep that in mind when you're seeing all of this on on TV and on the news that we are being inundated from all angles by people that have a bigger ulterior motive than the values and the principles and the founding of the United States of America. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. So now why am I talking about corporate America and the liberalism that's injected itself in there? Why would I be talking about businesses that thrive off a capitalist system? Why would I be thinking that these different businesses, the people that have enriched themselves off of these businesses, why would they sell out the system that made them rich? Because they want to kick the door behind them. They want to be insulated. They don't want to go into the red. You don't, you don't have to go into the red if you're subsidized partly by the government. And you won't have to worry about competition. And they're all jumping in to do what is called the Great Reset. And that's partly why I brought that up. Partly why I brought up the view of corporations moving towards this... Uh, philanthropic, above-the-fray, morality kind of uh, uh, take on their businesses. You know, they want to support climate change and things like that. They Actions that fight against that. Well, they also want to be a part of the Great Reset. Ah, have you heard of the Great Reset? This is from Fox Business. Al Gore, UN Secretary General, and others now demanding Great Reset of global capitalism. The economic, social, and political chaos caused by COVID-19's outbreak and the Black Lives Matter protest have for months captured the attention of virtually every American, and for good reason. These are incredibly important issues worthy of significant and thoughtful debate. But while most Americans have been preoccupied with protests and pandemics, 
a potentially bigger story has managed to slip beneath the radar. A growing movement among the world's most powerful leaders to call for a reset of the entire global economy. At a meeting hosted by the highly influential World Economic Forum, remember, they're the ones that, uh, along with John Hopkins University and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, were wargaming this Event 201 scenario that just so happened to proceed right around the time at the initial beginning of the pandemic. So they were doing pandemic response drills uh, at the beginning of a pandemic. Back to the article. Um, yeah, at this World Economic Forum meeting in June, powerful nonprofits, governments, business, academia, labor unions, and activist groups announced their plan for a, quote, great reset of global capitalism. It is a proposal they acknowledge has only been made possible because of the opportunity provided by the economic destruction caused by the novel coronavirus. Supporters in the attendees of the meeting include Prince Charles, Antonio Gutierrez, the Secretary General of the United Nations, Asia Banga, CEO of MasterCard, Bernard Looney, CEO of BP Oil, and Gina Gopinath, the chief economic uh, economist at the International Monetary Fund. In the article published on the World Economic Forum website, Klaus Schwab, the founder and executive chairman of WEF, wrote the Great Reset, quote, every country from the United States to China must participate and every industry from oil to gas to tech must be transformed in short, we need a, quote, great reset of capitalism. The WEF meeting featured a powerful lineup of global leaders, all of whom seemingly agreed the great reset is necessary to rebalance economies, promote fairness, and create a greater equality within societies among nations. The purpose of the great reset isn't merely to enact policies that would lead to additional wealth distribution, but rather to completely overhaul the world's existing structures and institutions. Among other things, Schwab has said the Great Reset, the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp the aspect of our societies and economies from education to social contracts to working conditions. How exactly are these leaders planning on convincing Americans and citizens of every other industrialized nation to abandon modern capitalism? By scaring people into believing that these changes are essential for stopping the next great crisis the world would face when the COVID-19 pandemic finally subsides, which is climate change. There it is. So they're going to go at it again. Shannon Burrow, the general secretary of the International Trade Union Confederation, said, we want to end the profit at all costs mentality, because if we don't build an economic future within a sustainable framework, in which we are respectful to our planetary boundaries and the need to change our energy and technology systems, then we will not be living in a planet that is sustainable for human beings. The Great Reset is a welcome recognition that the human tragedy must be, uh, is a must-wake-up call, said the UN Secretary General Guterres. We must now build a more equal, inclusive, and sustainable economy and societies that are more resilient in the face of pandemics, climate change, and the many other global faces we change, uh, that we, uh, we cha uh, face. Now, see, we talked about this. We've talked about this a bunch on this, on this show. We've talked about how the pandemic was going to be utilized 
and it was maybe they game planned this out with the event 201 scenario that they were going to use this to implement some sort of socialism. We know that the Marxist movements of Black Lives Matter, they want socialism. We know that the city council members, there is a city council member in Seattle who they thought was somebody that's just, ah, she's crazy. She got elected, but she's kind of a nut. But you know what? She'll never get that much power in the city council. She'll always be outvoted and we'll just relegate her to the sidelines. No, she's pushing for a socialist society, a breakdown, a destruction of the American society and a replacement with socialism. We talked about the new world orders that are being spouted off about by the mayor of Chicago, also by Bill de Blasio. So these things are in your local government. These things are in your state government. These things are in the framework of the culture of the businesses you buy your products from. They are all in on it, gang. It's going to be up to us. It's down to us. I've said that over the last couple of podcasts. When city council is looking the other way, that they can build this you know, nine square block of Chaz Chop, who's going to help you? When Seattle, which has said they have defunded their police department by 50%, who's going to protect you? It's down to us. And until we start pushing back, on these socialist uh, movements, they're going to take over. They're going to win. So I just wanted to wrap all of this up in a little bow for you to show you that the businesses you think would rail against, oh, they'll never destroy capitalism. That's how they got rich. Oh, they will (laughs) because they want to be at the forefront of something new. So don't think that they're your last bastion of capitalism. Now, real quick, I want to give uh, heartfelt, uh, you know, remembrance to uh, one of them is a personal friend of mine who passed away from cancer recently. Um, he was a, a member of a band that used to play in the circuit back when I played my buddy Keith. Um, we lost him. And we also lost one of the great talk legends, Jay Severin. He was huge in Boston. I only found out about him from the Blaze Radio. Um, but uh, he was extremely huge in Boston for his time. And uh, I was able to interact with him while he was at the Blaze Radio. And when he came back with his podcast, I was able to uh, provide some technical support for him, some editing and production and, uh, and helping him get his voice back out because we needed his voice more than ever. We knew he was going through some medical issues with cancer and uh, he had beaten it before and uh, apparently he had succumbed to it uh, just the other day. So we want to think of the great Jay Severin. Go go pull up some of his stuff on SoundCloud or iTunes. And the guy was hilarious. I mean, he was kind of a mix of like a Dennis Miller, Steve Dace. It was like he was a political analyst. He worked on Buchanan's campaign back in the day, Pat Buchanan. He did some Uh, A lot of stuff in the political inside, but he also was pretty freaking hilarious. Always had great takes, and we always had good back and forths on Twitter with him, uh, you know, especially when he was doing his show live. So uh, God bless you. He, he, by the way, he was the, uh, (laughs) he always likes to remind everybody that he was the president of his fifth grade uh, civics uh, (laughs) class. That was like a, a line that he always said. He always bragged about being the president of his fifth grade civics class. So, Jay Severin, Excelsior.
I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. You can check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn. Uh, find us on Roku. Uh, we're going to update the Roku channel here very soon. You can also check out the blog, adriansladeshow.com. Donate, anchor.fm, or you can donate at Patreon, patreon.com. We'll see you guys next time.